Today we continue our study in the book of Acts. Today God through his word continues to instruct us and build us and prepare us as his church in the last days. Now that is an exciting thing to me to think about. God is preparing us, you and I, he is preparing you, he is building you, equipping you, us, for his service in his church. Now that's a tremendous thing. That's an exciting thing. Today our verses are going to lead us to an important topic for the days that we exist in. So he is equipping us for these days. Well, our verses in his perfect timing are going to lead us to a subject that's important for us to understand in these last days. Today we have to know our business our mission as the church. And we at the same time have to know what is not our mission, what is not our business as the church. Now what that means is God has given us by his design and in his infinite wisdom a mission, a purpose. And as his people, we are to fulfill that purpose. I am, you are, we are together as the church. Well, Satan comes along and he distorts that. He comes along and he disrupts that. He comes along and he distracts us from that purpose. That is what he does. Well, today, understand, as a distraction, and for sure as a distortion, mysticism is entering into the Christian church. Now, what I call pagan practice or mysticism, really it's borderline witchcraft, if not witchcraft, is entering in, is bleeding in to the practice of the church. And as you watch today, it is leading churches away from their God-called purpose. Now, that is happening. That sounds crazy, but that is happening all around us. Today, you watch, you look, and people are being taught to seek the mystical. And that's what religion's about. People are, are taught to go and seek the miraculous. And in doing so, they are no longer impressed with the Messiah, Jesus. Well, today our verses are going to cover this. Our message is entitled this morning, The Weird, the Wacky, and the Word. The Weird, the Wacky, and the Word. We're in Acts chapter 19, today verses 11 through 20. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. I'm going to ask you if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. The weird, the wacky, and the word, beginning in verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them, 
so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and, it, and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Don't we follow we come today? We're thankful that today we have hope. We're thankful for today for our wonderful Savior. We're thankful that through Him, we have peace with God. We have the forgiveness of our sin. We have eternal life promised in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as we've gathered today that we would understand it's important that you're preparing each of us, that you're building each of us for your purpose. I pray, Lord, that we're not only equipped in it, but that we're obedient to it. Lord, I pray now in this time that you would speak, that it would be your word for your church. And I pray we'd have open ears and open minds and open hearts. And I pray, Lord, that it would bear fruit in each of us. And I pray that the result of that would be twofold. I pray, Lord, that your name would go out, that you would be glorified, that you'd be exalted high and lifted up. And I pray that lost sinners would be saved in the hearing of the gospel this very day. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we worship you. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Now I need to start today, and I need to be very clear up front. I need to start by saying the church is a supernatural thing. It is not normal. It's not like any other organization. Sometimes we like to act like it is. But the church is a supernatural thing. Be very sure God operates supernaturally in his church. He operates supernaturally through his church. It is not normal. God tells us that. God shows us that in his word. Friends, be sure of this. When the church becomes normal, and there's folks that think, you know what, that's the goal, that we'd be normal. When the church becomes normal, it has ceased to be the church. And that's the truth. It's not a normal thing. And when the church becomes normal, it ceases to be the church. I want to tell you something. I never want to lead a normal church. You're not normal. You say, well, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. Listen, I never want to lead a normal church. The church is not a normal thing. The church is supernatural, but the church is not mystical. Now, I want you to think about that. I want you to hear that. We're going to walk that out today. The church, yes, it is supernatural, but the church is not mystical. The church does not practice magic. It does not have secret sayings and secret services with the intent of producing some magical, mystical impact. That sort of thing, listen to me, has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you an example. Man, there's a whole bunch of them. It's an attack today. But let me, let me give you an example today. The last few years, five or so years, it may be before that, but that's what I became aware of it, there has been a fascination with Christian, 
psychics or Christian mediums. And maybe you've heard of them. Really, they're just fortune tellers. Uh, but they, they pop up, and there's TV shows, two or three of them about them. Uh, there's events that you can pay and you can go to. They have places you can go and seek them out. But there is a fascination with Christian, what they're calling Christian psychics. Now, these people claim that they are Christians, and they claim that their gift was given to them from God, that God has gifted them with this ability. And then here's the dangerous part. Believers are buying into that. They are participating in that, and they're watching those shows, and they're paying to go to those events. And they say, well, after all, they are a Christian psychic. Now, that's just one example. There's many ways that it's making its way into our practice today. But I want to show you, and I'm going to show you in these verses, those things, these things are not of Christ. And we need to be warned today. We must be ready. Now, when I say that and we read these verses, you might start to say, well, how do we know? How do, how do we know? They say Christian. They use our words. How do we know? What is our source? Where do we get our information? Well, as always, we go to the Word of God. God's Word alone is our source. All right, we're going to go now to our verses. Now, I want you to remember the context. Now, in fact, I want to tell you, today it is vitally important to remember the context. What we're going to hear today, study today, is built upon and shaped by the previous verses, the context that it exists in. So it's important for us to understand the context today. Understand here in chapter 19, Paul has made his way back to Ephesus. The Bible says there in verse 10, he is preaching the word of the Lord. That's what it says. He is there preaching the word of the Lord, both to Jews and Greeks, both to Jews and Gentiles. Now for us today, that means to the Jewish people and to the non-Jewish people. He is preaching the word of the Lord to the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people. Well, what that means is he is preaching to all People. He is preaching the word of the Lord to all people. So I want you to see this. As we come to our verses today, what is the church found doing? Preaching to all people the word of the Lord. What is the business of the church? What is the church found doing when we come to it today? It is preaching to all people the word of the Lord. Of the Lord. Now, I want you to see this. I want you to get this. The mission of the church, we need to understand this, is to proclaim, to teach, to preach, to announce to all people the message of the church. And so the mission of the church is to proclaim the message of the church. Now, what is the message of the church? The message of the church is the word of the Lord. It is the word of the Lord. For us today, it is our Bibles, the word of God, the word given to us through the prophets, through the apostles, and through Jesus Christ himself. So understand our business, our mission is to proclaim the word of the Lord to all people. Folks, let me tell you, Satan wants to change that. Satan wants to distract from that, and there's a whole bunch of ways that he tries it. 
He wants to add to that. Well, you can do this and this on top of that. He wants to change that. Listen to me. Satan wants to change that. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. It's as simple as that. You know what? Satan doesn't care what our church does as long as it doesn't preach the gospel. Satan doesn't care if we have the biggest whatever ministry or whatever ministry. If we're known throughout the land for those ministries, he doesn't care about that as long as we're not preaching the gospel because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let me tell you something. I've been a pastor now for 15 years. Now, that's unbelievable to me. That was very fast. 15 years. And here's what I'm convinced of. We have the most important mission and the most important message on earth. And you say, well, what about this great agency? What about this great government? What about this? What about that? In 15 years, I've become convinced we in the church of Jesus Christ, we have the most important mission on earth. We have the most important message on earth. In fact, I will tell you this, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let me tell you something. Tonight's the Super Bowl. And I, I love football. Football's a lot of fun to watch. And I, I think about my early years and I think about where I'm at right now. Tonight we could meet as a church and we could all watch the Super Bowl. There's a lot of churches going to do that. That's fine if they choose to do that. We've done that before. We could meet as a church and we could watch the Super Bowl tonight. We could all bring food tonight and it would be good. Let me tell you something. I love food more than I love football. <laughs> we could do that dadgum. We could have little smokies with barbecue sauce and maybe somebody bring some ribs. We could do that tonight. But let me tell you something. 15 years in, here's what I know. I know what I want to do tonight, and that is this. I want to preach the Word of God. Most important message on earth, most important mission on earth, and you want to see super results? That's the Super Bowl right there. I want to preach the Word of God. That's what we're going to do tonight. In Ephesus, Paul is preaching and teaching the Word of the Lord. The, verse 10 says he's been doing it for two years. It wasn't just a quick trip. He's been doing it for two years. He is in Ephesus, and he is preaching and teaching the word of the Lord. And then here we go with verse 11. Here starts our verses. All right, let me read it. Here we go. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Now see this. God is doing Powerful, wonderful, miraculous things through Paul. That's what the verse says. That's what the Bible says. Now, here's what I want you to see. See this. The miraculous things of these verses are tied to the message of the preceding verses. Now, I want you to see that. They are not separate. It's not a separate event. They are not exclusive of one another. The miraculous things of these verses are tied to the message of the preceding verses. Now, what that means is this. In the forming of the church, that's what this account is, in this apostolic age, the message of the gospel, the word of God, 
was being confirmed by these marvelous miracles. Now, I want us to be sure of that. Be, be sure of this. God was not running some sort of circus. He wasn't trying to raise attendance. He, he wasn't trying to put on some sort of sideshow. In these miracles, he was confirming the message of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this was all about. In these miracles, he is adding validity. He is confirming the message of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice that is the New Testament pattern. I want you to think about that. Paul goes to a lot of cities. Paul goes to a lot of synagogues. Paul's here in Ephesus. Now I want you to picture that. Paul comes to Ephesus and he shows up and he says, there is salvation not in works, not by earning it. Now that messes up everything. We have to keep these rules. We have to do these things. We're working on our salvation. Paul shows up and says, there is peace with God. There is salvation, but it's not of works. Paul says we are saved by faith in the promised Messiah. And he can back it up and show you the Old Testament scripture. There is a promised Savior, the Messiah, and his name is Jesus. That's his message. And then Paul goes on and he says, this Jesus, the Messiah, he died for sin, actually physically died, was put in a grave, and yet he lives again. And that is his message. Let me tell you something. Listen to that message. That's crazy. Is that not ludicrous? There's a dead man and he died and many people saw his death and he was put in a grave and he came out of that grave and our hope is in a man that was dead and yet lives again. That message is crazy. And these miracles are validating the message and watch this, and the messenger. Well, how do we trust this guy? Look at the miracles. Why should we listen? Look at the miracles. Is this message true? Look at the miracles. The miracles serve to validate the message and the messenger. All right, verse 12. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. Now, that's, what ha that's what's happening. Verse 12, that's what's happening. Let me ask you the question. Does that make sense? No, that is miraculous. That doesn't make sense at all. They take a handkerchief, carry it back someplace, and a demon runs out. That makes no sense. That is miraculous. And it is confirming the message and the messenger. Now, I was thinking about that. Remember the guy, and he was just a nut, um, Robert Tilton. I think he's moved to Florida now. He got into some trouble, but he's in Florida now. But he was in Dallas, Texas. And he used to say, send me your money. Send me your money. I don't know where that's at in the Bible, but that's what he would say. Send me your money, and I'll send you a prayer cloth. He was the king of the prayer cloth. Send me your money, I'll send you a prayer cloth. The anointing of the Lord is on it. Send me your money. Watch this, verse 13. But also, that's what's happening. That's what Paul's doing. But also, some of the Jewish exorcists, who went from place to place, attempted to name over some of those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. 
Now I want you to see several things. Watch what's happening here in verse 13. See several things. These Jewish exorcists, these were folks that went from town to town, kind of like a traveling circus, a traveling show, casting out demons and doing miracles. They made a living doing that. They profited by doing that. They had a a following built up by doing that. And so that's what these Jewish exorcists are doing. They go to town to town. They cast out the demons. They do miracles in exchange for money, in exchange for favor, and, and they're building up their following in doing so. Now, here's what they actually did. Watch this. What they did was to name a more powerful demon. This was their practice. To call upon the name of a more powerful demon to cast out the demon that was possessing the person, the possessing demon. That was their practice. It was not of Christ. It was not of God. It was not a true deliverance. Really, today, we would call it witchcraft. That's what it was. Now, I want you to see this. Here's what they were doing. They were playing games with Satan. They were playing games with Satan. They would go there, and they would call upon some other demon to remove this demon, and it would appear to be some great deliverance. It was not of Christ. They were playing games with Satan. Listen to this. And he was willing to play. Listen very carefully. Today, there are people, and they will say, and I've heard them come to me, and they've said it. They did a miracle. They did a miracle. I saw the miracle. They come along and they say, they, they told the fortune, it came true. They told me this would happen and it came true. They, they come along and they say, they told me what my uncle said and there's no way they could have known what he said. Nobody could have known that and yet they knew it. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Satan would perform a miracle if it could wreck your faith? Do you, do you think Satan would perform a miracle if it would distort the truth? Listen, I've seen it. Do you think he performed many miracles if it would wreck an entire church and distort an entire church and change an entire church? Listen, brother or sister, be warned of this. You better believe it. That's his business. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. And so they're playing around with Satan. Here's the second thing to see here. They did not know Jesus. Be sure and know that. They used the words. They do today as well. They know the, the words to mimic. They come, these guys come, and they hear of Paul. Maybe they see Paul. Maybe they watch him do these things. And so they say, like Paul, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. They didn't know Jesus. Paul did. They do not. Listen very closely to this, and I don't want you to mishear it. I want you to hear it. This is very big. Listen very carefully. The power is not in the name of Jesus. It is in the truth of Jesus. Now, I want you to hear that. That might trip somebody up, but I want you to hear that. The power is not in the name of Jesus. It is in the truth of Jesus. You see, the Mormons talk about Jesus. They talk all about Jesus. They don't know Jesus. The Muslims, they talk all about Jesus, the great prophet of God, the Jehovah's Witness, yes. They talk about Jesus, but it's not our Jesus. The power is in the truth of Jesus. 
And so they know his name, but they don't know Jesus. How many folks fit into that mold? They know his name, but they don't know Jesus. Powers in the truth of Jesus. Verse 14. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Now, here's an interesting episode. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Now, I was looking into this. Most likely, Sceva was not a true Jewish priest. He's not listed anywhere. He's not in a lineage anywhere. He for sure is not a high priest. He's not listed as a high priest Now, he could have been related to one of their families, but he is not most likely an official Jewish priest. Most likely, this Sceva gave the name, the title to himself. He did it for prestige, and he did it for position. Most likely, he may have been related, but he named himself this position, and evidently, a bunch bought in. Now, here's the deal. We don't know anything about Sceva. But I want you to be sure of this. There are lots of people, and I'm talking about 2022. I'm talking about the day we live in. There are lots of people, and it's growing. There are lots of people in our day that give themselves a title and call themselves something God has not. And I'll just tell you, that's the reality. It's sad. It's dangerous, but there's a whole lot of folks walking around today and they are calling themselves something God has not. I want you to be very sure today, just because somebody's got a church somewhere, just because they got a pulpit somewhere, just because they got a platform and a title, doesn't mean that God gave it to them. Verse 14, this guy, Sceva, he had seven sons. I almost called them seven sorry sons, but he had seven sons, and they're doing exactly this. They're going around, and they're faking the miraculous. You know, my dad's a Jewish priest, and they're going around, and they're, they're doing the mystical thing, and they're liars, and they're frauds, and their partnership is with Satan. Now, next up is one of the funniest verses in this account. Verse 15. And the evil spirit, the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? The evil spirit, I adjure you in the name of Jesus of whom Paul preaches. In the name of Jesus, come out. Now, can you imagine the show? I can because we see him today. He's got some big old show and he's got everybody whipped up. Maybe he sold tickets for that event. Maybe he rode there in a great big jet. I don't know. But he says, in the name of Jesus that Paul is preaching, come on out. And everybody's watching. And the demon says, I know Jesus and I know about Paul. But who are you? Let me tell you something sad. Jesus died for Sceva and his seven sons. Jesus was their savior. And Jesus was their hope as well. And the saddest thing I can think of when I read this account, I think that's pretty funny, but when I, when I read that, you know what? If they'd have called upon the name of Jesus, he'd have forgiven them, he'd have restored them, he'd have showed them the truth, and they would have been saved. Saddest thing in this account is they missed Jesus. Sceva and his seven sons, they miss Jesus. 
The demons say, who are you? Did you know Jesus said, there'll be a day when he'll say, who are you? Depart from me, I do not know you. Well, then we now prophesy in your name and say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me, I do not know you. The demon says it first, who are you? And the evil spirit answered and said to him, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? Verse 16. The, and the man in whom the evil was the evil spirit leaped upon them and subdued them all and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Here in verse 16, this evil spirit, the man he's possessing, it attacks them. And I, I looked it up in route to Greek. Here's what he did. He whooped them. He whooped those folks. <laughs> he beat them up. He wounded them. He pulled their clothes off of them. And they ran out, revealed, wounded, and naked. That's what happens in verse 16. Talk about a crazy thing. Verse 17. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. I bet it did. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Verse 17 says, And the word spread. And with the truth revealed, the truth of Jesus is lifted up and magnified. Let me tell you something right here. We need to go ahead and understand this. We need to take this to the bank. Here's the truth. The truth is always better than the lie. Our world says, well, maybe the lie looks attractive. Maybe you can believe this. I want to tell you today, God's way is the best way. The truth is always better than the lie. Why? Because the truth is Jesus. I want to tell you, they promised healing, they couldn't deliver it. Jesus can. They promised things, they couldn't deliver. You know what Jesus can do? He can forgive you of your sin. He can restore you in a relationship with the Holy God. He and He alone can save you, and He is the Lord. And with the lie revealed, the truth of Jesus is magnified. Why should we care? I've had folks ask me that. Why do you have to talk about this? Doesn't this cause division? Doesn't this cause dissension? Aren't there churches right around us that you might upset them? Aren't there some folks that might be here hearing this today and it upsets them? Why should we care? It's not our business. Why bother with them? Let me tell you why. Because with the lie revealed, the truth of Jesus is magnified. That's what we see in that verse. All right, watch this in verse 18. Many, wow, this is a big, big practice. Many also, those who had believed, kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. Many also, those who had believed, kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. Now, let me show you what's happening. Those who had practiced such things, they were coming and they were confessing. They were coming clean. They were disclosing their practices. Now, I want you to see what they are doing. They are telling how they lied. You know, when you saw that miracle and you thought it was true, here's how I was lying. They are telling how they defrauded people. You know how you draw a crowd? You know what you do? They're actually telling how they defrauded the people. Now, think about this. This is how they made their living. 
This is how they had status. They had no status apart from this. And here they are, they're coming, and they're giving away their secrets. Watch this, verse 19. And many of those who practice magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Let me read verse 19 again. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Now in verse 19, it wasn't enough to tell of their secrets. It wasn't enough to reveal their lies. Here in verse 19, they don't plan on going back. They don't plan on keeping a plan B. They don't think, well, you know what? I'll try this for a while. And if it doesn't work out, I've got this book to fall back on. They are done. It is finished for them, and they burn their books. Now, it says here an interesting thing. They add up the value of the magic books, and it's recorded for us to read in God's Word, some 50,000 pieces of silver. Listen to me today. understand this. They didn't just stop. They gave up everything. They traded everything. A fortune, a fortune. Can you imagine 50,000 pieces of silver and they burned it all? They were done. Get this. Lean in, listen. If you're asleep, wake up. Listen to me. You want to know where God's working? And I'll tell you what, I'm so sick of the faults and I'm so sick of the frauds out there and I'm so sick of the things that are held up as works of God. Let me tell you something, you want to know where God's working? And if you want to know the supernatural, you want to see the supernatural. Listen, our God is a supernatural, miraculous, powerful God. And if your heart burns to see a supernatural movement of God, if you want to see a miracle, you want to see the miraculous, you want to see the power of God, let me tell you something, friend. You go where hearts are changed, and that is the proof. Not some other whipped up nonsense. You want to know where God is working. You go where lives are changed, and homes are changed, and marriages are changed, and where hearts are change and that is where God is working I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold I'd rather be his than have riches untold I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands I'd rather be led by his nail pierced hand Would we? Their hearts were changed. And they turned away from it all. And they didn't hold anything back. They didn't save something for another day. They gave everything. They turned everything in. And they walked away in fellowship with Jesus. Praise the Lord. Verse 20. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. What an update. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Now, how do I know this is one account? How do I know the preceding verses in this account? How do I know they are one account? Well, let me ask you this. What was Paul preaching in the previous verses? Verse 10, the word of the Lord. 
What is growing mightily and prevailing in these verses? It is the word of the Lord. Do you see that this morning? Today, do you see the centerpiece of it all? Is the word of the Lord. Here's a question for us as a church today. Do we know our mission? Do we know it's to proclaim the good news to all people? Do we know our mission? Do we know our message today? It is the word of the Lord. I would be remiss, and this would all be hollow if I didn't tell you what the word of the Lord is. The word of the Lord is this. It starts in Genesis. It goes to Revelation. The word of the Lord is this. God knows you. God created you. And God loves you. The word of the Lord is this, that we've sinned. Each of us have sinned. We've gone our own way. We've rebelled. Things we did, things we didn't do, we sinned against the holy God. And the word of the Lord is we've earned a punishment. We've secured it. We're condemned guilty in our sin. You are and I am guilty in our sin. The word of the Lord, there is a punishment. The world doesn't like to talk about that. There is a punishment for sin. The Bible says it's separation from God. Now we walk in that, in our sin. If we die of that state, that'll be our eternal state, the reality of hell, separation from God for all eternity. That's the word of the Lord. But I want to tell you, the word of the Lord is, is, is the good news because the word of the Lord says this. God, upon seeing our helpless condition, loves the world so much he sent his only begotten son and he comes, he lives a life. He's born as a man to save men, mankind. He comes, he lives a life, he never sins, not one time. Though tempted in every way as a man, he never sins. As the perfect Lamb of God, he goes to the cross. That's the word of the Lord. He takes my sin and your sin and he carries it there. My shame is heaped upon him. He becomes our sin. And there on the cross of Calvary, he's stretched out and he dies as the payment for sin. The Bible says the propitiation, it is settled in him. God's wrath towards sin is poured out on Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God. He dies paying the penalty for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That's the truth of the word of the Lord. They pull him off of that cross and they put him in a grave. He's actually dead, actually dead. He's dead. He paid for sin. And the word of the Lord is this. One day on the first day of the week, they came early in the morning. And they came as they approached, they could see the tomb was empty. The stone had been rolled away. And you know what the word of the Lord is? Jesus is alive. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here for he is risen. Jesus is alive. And I want to tell you the word of the Lord is this. If you will trust in him, Sceva and his seven sons, any of us here today, if you will trust in him, you shall be saved. And that, friend, is the word of the Lord. If you've never trusted Jesus, turn to him today. Praise the Lord. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, turn to him today. Trust him today. The word of the Lord is this. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, professing with their mouth what they believe in their heart. The word of the Lord is this, they shall be saved. Trust him today, he'll save you. Call upon him today, he'll save you. And that is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come and we rejoice in such good news. Lord, as believers here, our hearts well up. We're thankful. We celebrate a risen Savior in such good news. But Lord, we know there's some that do not trust you, that haven't turned to you. Maybe in this room, maybe listening to some other means, I pray that, Lord, in the hearing of good news and again the word of the Lord, that today they would turn to you and trust you. I pray that the barriers are removed. I pray they set aside their, their pride. They repent of their sin and they turn away from that sin. 
They turn to Jesus. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray for those that have made that decision. I pray that we would recommit. I pray, Lord, that we'd be encouraged in this message, in this, in this truth today. And I pray we'd understand we have a message. We have a mission to declare that message. Lord, we come and we just tell you we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We trust all this to you. We ask now in this time of invitation that you would work, that you would move. We trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a time of response, and I truly do believe it's the most important time of this entire hour. It's a time to respond to the truth of God's preached word. You see, there is a decision to be made when you hear the word of God. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, if you need more information about that, if you're here and you'd say, I'm ready to trust him today, we're going to have a, a hymn of invitation. Now, I would encourage you to come meet me at the front, and let's settle that today. Let's take care of that today. Don't leave here today without that settled. If you're here and you've trusted Christ, but you've never fought in believers' baptism, you come today and we'll set a day. It'll be a great day of celebration, testifying to what we believe of our Savior, Jesus. You come, let's take care of that. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here. You come as well and together we'll serve His cause for His glory, His namesake. Maybe today you want to come pray at an altar. Lots of tough stuff going on. Lots of folks sick dealing with death. Maybe you want to come pray to an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about or head for an exit, but you'd pray for those that are making decisions. And if God has spoken to you, if you have a decision to make, as we stand to sing, you step out and you come on. As we stand to sing, you come on. I'll meet you here.